Welcome everybody to the Safina Society. Nothing but facts live stream where it is a Monday that does not feel like winter at all. It's uh, a little bit gray out. I seem like for some reason I'm always giving everyone the weather forecast here in New Jersey. But just for you guys to get a mood. Um, it's not even that cold and I wish that we would get snow soon. But And it's not even, yeah, it's like a nice day out. It's like it, the, the clouds may move over a little bit, okay? Um, the clouds may uh, shift, and we might end up having what seems to be more like an autumn, a late autumn day than, than a winter day. And um, I'm somebody who personally loves the, the different seasons that Allah created, right? And when we get into a season, I like to get deep into that season to get the full fruit of what Allah created out of that season because it has an impact on you. Like when you're buried in the tundra and in the snow, you do tend to turn internally. There's less to do outside the house, right? And when it's hot and sunny, it's like all, you're, you're extroverted. So there's introverted and extroverted. And then you shift between the two. And so uh, in, in the spring and in the fall. And all that symbolizes life, the life of, of the human being. Spring is his birth, Summer is the heat of his, his, his strength from like 30 to 50 or whatever. And then the autumn of life comes in now. Guy's got a sprinkly gray beard. He's a respected sheikh now, right? He's respected in his family. And that's the autumn of a person's life. Then at the end, some of these big shiuch, sometimes they don't, they completely retire from real life, uh, from, from, from social life. And the 90% of the time is spent alone with, uh, preparing for their akhirah. Forget you, even humans, regular humans. So that's why I love the, the seasons to me is one of the greatest things that Allah created for us to contemplate. And then the belief in resurrection is like right there because trees die, bugs die, everything dies, and all of a sudden comes back to life in the spring in an amazing way. We move now to the final chapter of the Shema'il. And this chapter will take us some time. It is chapter 53. And it is, uh, uh, there's not the final chapter, but it's really the end of the Shema'il. And it is the uh, passing of Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi salatu wasalam onto al-Rafiq al-A'la. The Rafiq al-A'la is the Arabic for the higher companion. And that is because no prophet is soul is taken except with permission. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, commands an angel, take permission from my abd. And in the case of the prophet, peace be upon him, give him a choice. He could live forever for his ummah or he could return unto his highest companion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, of course, said, Bal al-Rafiq al-A'la. I'm joined on this stream with a young Talib Ilm. Your name is Omar Abbasi. Omar Abbasi, do you know, if you went out to Main Street in Patterson and you said, Omar Abbasi, five guys are going to turn around, right? <laughs> that's okay. true, that's true. So, except they're all going to be Palestinians and, uh, and you're Pakistani. Yeah, you get mistaken for Palestinian sometimes. You can pass for Palestinian 100%. You can go propose right now as Omar Abbasi. Is your dad a doctor? <laughs> no. Okay. Because if you went, I'm Omar Abbasi, son of Dr. Abbasi, right? You pass off as a Palestinian, yeah, you'd be engaged on the spot. But, uh, so tell me, you're from Jersey? 
Uh, I'm from New York, but I moved here like two years ago. You're from which part of New York? Queens? Queens, yeah. Queens, okay. And now you're in Central Jersey? Yeah, yeah, no. All right. Um, Ryan uh, met this brother, and boom. I, see, I think it's with... I love strangers. I love just uh, meeting new people because you just never know what life is going to bring you, right? You should be open to... I, I'm personally always open to going to new alleys, new cities. You never know what life is going to bring you, so you got to be open to it. All right. Um... باب ما جاء في وفاة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم حدثنا أبو عمار الحسين بن حريث وقتيبة بن سعيد وغير واحد and others غير واحد means more than one other beyond one people have said حدثنا سفيان بن عيينة who was the alim of Mecca he was the one of the two Sufians if you're a student of knowledge you must know that in the second the third generation, companions, tabi'in, tabi'a tabi'in, there were two Sufyans. One in Kufa, who was an aggressive seeker of hadith and a zahid and an outspoken scholar, who was Sufyan Athodi. And he hated and despised the rulers and any meddling in rulership. He also was such a zahid, he didn't want followers or books. Of course, he had followers. But the way that he got around them was he kept moving around. He kept moving. Every few years, he had moved to another city. And he actually burned all his books so that there could not possibly be that an error in the deen was transmitted through him. Because of this, putting himself down, Allah elevated him. And despite that he didn't want a madhab, and he doesn't have a madhab, but he's mentioned by all the madhab. You can't find any madhab that doesn't praise Sufyan al-Thawri. And it won't take you long in knowledge to get to know Sufyan al-Thawri. It's not like someone who's only known after seven-year studies or something. No. Very quickly, within study of hadith, you will know the name Sufyan al-Thawri radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There was another Sufyan. His name is Sufyan ibn Uyayna. Sufyan al-Thawri was from Madhab al-Kufa. He was from the Madhab that later became the Hanafi known as the Hanafi Madhab at that time, called Madhab Ahl al-Iraq or al-Kufa. That was his mashrab. He, his sanad, his isnad, was from the ulama, uh, uh, ulama of Ahl al-Kufa. Sufyan ibn Uyayna was a Hijazi. He lived in Mecca al-Mukarrama. He taught hadith there. And because he lived in Mecca al-Mukarrama, he saw everybody. Because anyone who goes to make Hajj or Umrah must, at some point, especially when he became older and a veteran seasoned scholar, you must sit in the majlis of Sufyan ibn Uyayna. And that's how all the cities are still. Like, there's no such thing as go and visit Damascus back in the 90s and not sitting in the majlis of Sa'id Ramadan al-Bulti, where I believe it was every Tuesday night he taught al-Hikam. My parents one time, I think my dad one time, went to Damascus, and as, like, a thing you have to do is sit in the gathering of Sa'id Ramadan al-Bulti. So he... I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he did go there and, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, attended the majlis of Sheikh Saeed Ramzan al-Bulti. Uh, every city had such things like that. Staple people that, if you're there, you got to go and visit there. So, Sufyan ibn Uyayna, that are the two, those are the two Sufyans of Islamic history, early, early Islamic history, particularly Hadith. And he studied with Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, Muhammad bin Muslim, Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, who was a young man who 
ended up becoming a, a scholar of hadith who became the, the scholar in residence of the Umayyad Caliph, the Khalifa of the Umayyads for five Khalifas. And so he retired back to Medina, and from Medina, uh, Imam Malik was able to study with him. Okay. So Sufyan ibn Uyayna, Sufyan al-Thawri, Malik ibn Anas, they're from one tranche of history. And Malik was older than them. Sufyan ibn Uyayna said if it was not for Malik, uh, the knowledge of Hijaz would have been lost. Okay. And Sufyan uh, al-Zuhri is the tranche above them. He met the Sahaba. Okay. And he studied with Anas ibn Malik. Okay. And he took hadith from him. So Zuhri says that Anas says that Akhiru ila Now remember who is Anas bin Malik? He is he's a boy who became an orphan. He lost his dad. At the same year the Prophet made Hijrah to Medina. Okay? When the Prophet came to Medina, the mother came up with an idea the best this would be great for the the, the messenger to be his father figure. So she took him by the hand, went to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and said, I want him to dedicate him to your service. So the Prophet said, every morning, do what your mother needs you to do. And then when you're done with that, then come down and find me. Okay. And that's, how, that's what Enes did from the age of 20, all the way to the age of 20, uh, uh, sorry, age of 10, all the way to age of 20. Imagine that. From the age of 10, the first thing you do, you finish your chores, you have your breakfast, you come down and see the Prophet and serve the Messenger all day and all night until Maghrib. Okay. So how and then Enes lived one hundred years after that, transmitting the deen. So the Prophet had the youth around him so that they could live on. That he said, the last sight, glance I had of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu Okay. The veil was pierced on Monday. Okay. I looked at his face and it was like the page. Let's see how they translate a mushaf here. Uh, mushaf at this point may. Let's see how they translate a mushaf here. Page of the Quran. I don't know what he means. Okay. Shining and clear like the page of Quran. And this was because the door to his house was a, was a curtain. So kashaf as-sitara means he pushed the curtain back so you could see his face. And his face was as clear as a page, a blank page basically. When nasu khalfa Abu Bakr. And the people were behind Abu Bakr. Fakada nasu an yattaribu. And then the people worried, wondered. They're about to pray behind Abu Bakr. He, he commanded the people, stay as you are. In other words, with salah. In your salah with Abu Bakr. And the messenger, peace be upon him, passed away on that day. When he would, when he recovered, he would join the congregation, and when not, he would stay in his. And that is where 
that is when the Prophet ﷺ passed. This was the greatest calamity that the Ummah had ever faced because up, up until that time, they had a resource of the truth, direct link to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the Sahabiyat stated that it is not that we weep for the Messenger ﷺ because we know that he went to something better. We weep for having lost the direct connection to the revelation. Every day revelation was being revealed, and if there was ever any problem in the deen, it was resolved on the spot through the Prophet ﷺ. This is the last glimpse, says the commentary, on the Monday wherein Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ judged that the shar'i system has been established and the old friend Abu Bakr Siddiq would fulfill his duty and shoulder the responsibilities of the ummah. Accordingly, this is what took place and what the world witnessed. The demise of the Messenger ﷺ, or the passing, this is a translation by the way, was such an occurrence before which all incidents that took place in the world were of no importance. And as if nothing had occurred, with it the fitna of apostasy, all the worldly problems, all these things were nothing in comparison to this tribulation that faced the ummah because of the nur that they were living with. The nur is the clarity, um, guidance, and truth, and you know for sure everything is going to be okay. Then that's taken away. Subhanallah. And that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu fulfilled and did his responsibilities as a khalifa by keeping Islam one. The pillar of Islam behind him, Umar ibn al-Khattab, with his courage and his strength and his aggressiveness, okay, he was able to expand this ummah and he was able to soften the blows of the poor and the weak. Sayyidina Umar was once asked that there, there is new marble now at our, in our reach. We can get marble and we can rebuild the haram. And the Prophet Sayyidina Umar said, the stomachs of the poor are more important. Sayyidina Umar had a very simple, his priority, he understood how civilization stabilizes. Nobody should be hungry. Once people are hungry, you're going to have a destabilized nation. Haddathana Humayd ibn Mas'adat al-Basri. Haddathana Sulaym ibn Akhdar. An ibn Aun, an Ibrahim, an al-Aswad, an Aishata. قالت كنت مسندة النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم إلى صدري. The Prophet was leaning on her chest. And in another narration, on her thigh. So obviously, sometimes he was sitting up and leaning on her, and sometimes he had his head on her lap. فدعا بقسطن ثم So basically, she basically said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Asked for a container and had to go to the bathroom. All right. And then that was the last action um, that she saw him take. Okay. And in another one, next hadith is from Ana Qasim ibn Muhammad Ana Aisha. Anna Qalat, Raaitu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, wa huwa bil mauti. The Prophet was in his stages of death and he had a bowl with water in it and he would put his hand in the bowl and then wipe his face and his forehead with the water. Allahumma 
منكرات الموت أو قال سكرات الموت أو الله تعالى he would pray and make dua oh Allah help me pass through the difficulties of death okay the difficulties of death on one side it was a lesson to the ummah on the other side at the time of death that the prophet is telling even messengers will feel that death is a, stre- a strenuous thing it's not easy for your soul to leave the body I always give the example if someone said, hold on, I'm going to reach in with a wrench and pull your molar teeth out. You'd be freaking out. If someone reached into their, your mouth and said, I'm going to touch your uvula, you'd freak out. Imagine someone reaching into your body and taking your soul out. It was a scene of complete steadfastness, perseverance, total inclination towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reliance and peace. This is what we're going for. If anybody asks, what's the goal? The goal is to get as many, to get ourselves, first and foremost, to this point. And someone of the Salihin said, on the, on the, the day of your uh, time of death, what rises up to people is their regrets. So one of our lenses, if you want to live peacefully, it, the lens that we you through, see the world with is that if something is, you would regret it on your death. If you would regret it on your death, then don't do it. And if you wouldn't do something, if you would regret not doing something on your death, make sure you do it. Mainly it has to do with relationships, human beings, other Muslims, other Salihin. There should never really be a feud, a personal feud between Salihin. Between two, Salih means trying to be upright Muslims. The word Salih means he fears Allah in public. So that's the bar. In private, okay, in private, people may have sins and may have make mistakes. But the, the, the definition of the Salih is somebody that there is no accusation against him of disobedience or leaving off an obligation. Like we can never accuse him of that. That's a Salih. I've never seen, do, does he leave off salah? Does he curse? Does he, in public, what does that mean? If he upholds that in public, if Allah gives him that tawfiq in public, clearly his, his private is good enough, right? That Allah upholds his reputation in public. That this person has enough shame of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before Allah and enough taqwa that he does not commit sins out, outwardly and openly in public. Okay. So that means that his private is good enough. That's what a salih is. We're not talking wali min awliyaullah. We're just saying a salih. Okay? That means there's no flaw in him. We cannot accuse him of anything. His testimony would be accepted. So a feud with that type of person, to me, is one of the biggest regrets. Of course, if it's your parents, that's another world. You never want to have issues there. You know, and those that's not even going to wait till your death. You'll have issues. If you have issues with your parents, you'll have issues way before that. Sheikh Rami Nasur has an amazing Taiba foundation. The way that he rehabs people, I've never seen it. He uses the Sharia and he uses Sidi Muhammad Mawlud's book, Birul Walidain. And he has them all go back to their origin. Go back, fix your origin, fix your relationship with your parents. If your parent has died or estranged from you, fix it on the inside 
by even almost like writing like in your imagination at least in your mind in your heart fixing that relationship and then go to the next level your aunts uncles grandparents that you may have issues with then your past employers then any victims you had like if you don't do it with your parents you won't do it with anyone else that's the truth if you have enough of a hard heart to do that with your parents you won't do it with anyone else so he then um, takes people like that. So the regrets, the true regrets that are at the heart of a man, that's what comes out at death. And what he's saying here is that the Messenger wasallam showed how a Muslim dies. Remember, the Prophet's life is an open book. There is nothing private at the, about the Prophet's life. Right? Nothing is private. Because we learn, we take lessons from all of this. Everything about it, we take lessons. وعن عائشة لا أغبط أحدا بهون موت بعد الذي رأيت من شدة موت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم that the prophet peace be upon him she is saying I do not doubt that anyone does not experience difficulties at the time of death after having witnessed the difficulty experienced by the prophet peace be upon him now he messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم is somebody who is a is a messenger. He is described as having the strength of 40 men. Right? And he has no difficulty related to sins because sometimes the difficulties of of death okay are related to sins and the prophet doesn't have any sins. And on top of that on top of having no sins He's a, he has the strength of 40 men. On top of that, we just witnessed him going to Tabuk, going to um, Hunayn. Fatah Mecca, he slaughtered 63 camels by himself. Subhanallah. And you know how hard it is to slaughter a camel? He slaughtered them by himself. And so he had great strength. He had no sins. And yet he felt the hardship of death. Okay. Intense illness is a means, says the commentary, of decreasing sin, the sins of one's evil deeds and increasing in the blessings of that person. Intense illness being a reason for death makes one utter more istighfar and prepare for death. And for the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, illness is a to show the people his bashariya, to show people he's a, that he is a human, right? Otherwise, we can't follow a non-human. Number two, um, yeah, and it's in general all of the things is to to to, to remind the ummah and to show that he's a human facing this. So how do we face it when we face it? If an angel came down and doesn't die. We would never know how to die. And if, if our prophet came and never married, we would know, never know how to marry. How do I be married? What, what do I do when I'm married? What do I do when I have a fight? What do I have to do when I have an argument? What do I do when I have a kid? We have to have a prophet who does everything. But secondly, it's an increase of his rank. And it's something that nobody could say, well, the prophet then lives an easier life than us. Next. حديث الخامس في الباب
عن ابن أبي مليكة عن عائشة ابن أبي مليكة was second generation means companions تابعين and he took hadith from Sayyid Aisha لما قبض رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم اختلفوا في دفنه they differed upon his passing hey right don't you find it interesting that we did a khitam of Shama'il and the Sira like right away we just in the convert class did the passing of the Prophet Sallallahu in the convert class on Thursday and now we're doing it here on Monday SubhanAllah Samiatu yes yeah Sayyid Muhammad Alu al-Maliki he said that there is something called al-ulum al-nabawiyya he established that he's a muptakir he came up with this concept al-ulum al-nabawiyya which means that it's beyond just hadith right it's every subject related to the messenger peace be upon him and it's beyond hadith okay of course most of it's hadith but اختلفوا في دفنه they differed on how to bury him صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أبو بكر I heard from the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم شيئا ما نسيته I heard something from the prophet peace be upon him something that I never forgot قال ما قبض الله نبيا إلا في الموضع الذي يحب أن يدفن فيه ادفنوه في موضع فراشه I heard that the Prophet ﷺ said, No, Allah has not taken a prophet except in the place which in which he loves for him to be buried. So bury him exactly where he uh, where he was laying down. Okay. The firash is the the spread, the pillow or what have you. Okay. The commentary on this is as after the death of the mess. Of the Messenger وسلم, was destined that Abu Bakr would take his place. Therefore, such a mas'ala is a specialty that the Prophet had given to Abu Bakr. That the fact that this hadith only comes from Abu Bakr Siddiq means the Prophet only told it to Abu Bakr Siddiq is an ishara. He's pointing to Abu Bakr Siddiq. No Nabi's death occurs until that Nabi becomes a, muq, uh, a muqtadi, meaning that the... Uh, a few other hadiths mentioned about the khasais of Abu Bakr and others. Um, Abdurrahman bin Auf. No prophet dies until he prays behind one of his righteous followers. Meaning, that is a sign that his ummah has graduated. He has graduated the ummah. Is that they can lead their own salah now. Salah being symbol for the whole religion. Other khasais. Um... The portion from my grave to the mimbar is a part of the garden of paradise. Therefore, the grave of the Prophet is his room. Okay? Because where he passes back and forth constantly, that's why it's a garden of garden of paradise. Because the Prophet, peace be upon him, goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the same between the same spot. The MBA do not have any heirs of inheritance. There's no heirs. Okay. There's no inheritance. No inheritors. When Allah gives a Nabi rizq, that person is responsible for its administration. Okay. The one who becomes the Khalifa or king and he carelessly chooses a deputy, the curse of Allah befalls him. Okay. So... 
these are just some of the khasa'is related to Abu Bakr Siddiq and the place of burial of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. عن عائشة أن أبا بكر دخل على النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم بعد وفاته from عائشة that Abu Bakr entered in upon the messenger peace be upon him after his death فوضع فمه بين عيني he places his he kissed between his eyes ووضع يديه على ساعديه and then he placed his hand he placed his hand on the shoulder of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Waqala Wa Nabiya Wa Safiya O Prophet O pure one Wa Khalila O close companion. An Anasin Kala Lama Kanal Yaumu Aladi Dakalafihi Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Ali Wasallam Al Madinata Ada Aminha Kulushay. When the Prophet came to Medida Everything became bright. When the Prophet, when it was the day in which he died in it, everything was dark. When it was the day of his passing, everything was dark. Subhanallah. He said, our, from his burial, our hands were still dusty from the soil. Our hearts had already changed. Our hearts had already changed. There was something different about our state. Which is a hadith that shows that the Sahaba, they had an understanding of the states of their hearts. And it was something they focused on. And that there were states of, of the heart has states. And your states are not always the same. So he says that this does not mean that there was a change in their beliefs or their deeds, but their hearts okay, felt a difference. They felt a difference in their hearts. Meaning, they were missing the noble company of the Prophet ﷺ and the lights that would come from it. Right? The lights that would come from that. Okay. Nowadays too, when a disciple of a sheikh passes on they feel the difference okay when the sh- they're away from their sheikh okay for this reason in order to gain those anwar we do the awrad that that sheikh gives us and we take from those awrad if someone does not um, have the ability to be with their sheikh they recite the awrad okay and previously all this was not necessary just going to the Prophet one time was enough. Right? What is these awrad and these prayer books? Did the Sahaba have that? No, the Sahaba, they went directly to the Prophet, sat for a few minutes and left. And that was their zed. That was their spiritual sustenance. Spiritual sustenance is that which motivates you to stay away, to, to fulfill the sharia. And that which puts the, the, the feeling of this is the purpose of life in your heart created such a status of iman and ihsan in them just those visits to the prophet peace be upon him and that is what drove their countless mujahadat their jihad their ibadah their sadaqat what drove it was that dhawq was that they knew that it would increase their nearness to Allah which they felt in their heart 
and it, that's what drove them. People aren't driven by a reason, right? You're not driven, okay, go do jihad because logically it's better. No, they're dri- they were driven by something in here. You know what the Prophet said about Abu Bakr? He didn't surpass you in fasting and salah or zakah. He passed you, he, pa- he surpassed you all by something in his heart. Next hadith says, An Aisha tuwufiya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam ayyum al ithnain. An Jafar ibn Muhammad anabi. Kubiya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam ayyum al ithnain. Femakatha dalik al yoma. So they, they did not bury him until Tuesday afternoon. And then the janazah were prayed. This is interesting. Jafar ibn Muhammad, I believe that is Muhammad al-Baqir. Right? Jafar ibn Muhammad, Jafar al-Sadiq, son of Muhammad al-Baqir. Did you memorize that? What kind of Abbasi are you? Huh? Jafar ibn Muhammad, Jafar al-Sadiq is Malik's teacher. His father is Muhammad al-Baqir, the great alim, big alim of Medina. And he is one of the pillars of the school of Hijaz. When Abu Hanifa came to visit, Muhammad al-Baqir was an older scholar, and Abu Hanifa was fleeing from a fitna. And he spent two years in Medina fleeing from that fitna. And in the beginning of those two years, Muhammad al-Baqir said, you are the one from Kufa who talks about Qiyas? And he basically wanted to rectify him. Then Abu Hanifa explained to him that his Qiyas was a valid Qiyas, not the forbidden Qiyas. Then they became, he became close to Muhammad al-Baqir and his son Jafar al-Sadiq. And Abu Hanifa, they became close after that. Okay, And so... Um, but mainly Muhammad al-Baqir. Jafar al-Sadiq was a bit younger, but uh, Muhammad al-Baqir uh, was close to Abu Hanifa after that. And there's a famous debate between them, in which, at the end of that debate, Muhammad al-Baqir recognizes that Abu Hanifa's qiyas is acceptable qiyas. Not, it's not the qiyas that, goes, that contradicts the sharia. Muhammad al-Baqir, in turn, is the son of is is the son of Ali Zain al-Abidin ibn al-Hussein. So Ali Zain al-Abidin was a Zahid, an Abid, and a Musaddiq. Right? Mutasaddiq, uh, I mean. He'd give sadaqah. It was it like almost his specialty was to give sadaqah to the poor. Mutasaddiq. That's Ali. His name is Ali. His father is al-Hussein. And Ali Zain al-Abidin, Ibn al-Hussein, was the only living male heir of the great al-Hussein, Ibn Ali, who was martyred at Karbala. Ali Zain al-Abidin, this Ali, is half Arab and half Persian. And for that reason, he had a a, a unique look to him, appearance to him. His mother was the princess of Persia, right? He is the son of princes. Hussein is a prince in the sense, in the spiritual sense, the grandson of the messenger, peace be upon him, and his mother was the princess of Persia. So that is, uh, meanwhile, Al Hassan ibn Ali had 16 sons as heirs. And it happens to be that the majority of Al Hassan's lineage 
is in the West. North Africa and Andalus. And the majority of Al-Hussein, and, and they're, na- they're, they're known as Al-Ashraf. And the majority of the Eastern Ahlul Bayt are from Al-Hussein, and they're known as Sayyids. As-Sada wal-Ashraf. That tends to be, there's not a rule for this, but it happens, tends to be how people call them and where they're located. Morocco also we were with Hassani Sheikh mm-hmm. uh, uh, Sidi Amin mm-hmm. and uh, he was saying like the difference between him he's Hassani and Habib Omar is Husseini and they were together for like some years mm-hmm. and he got ijazahs from him and everything and he was saying like the um, Hassani way is very uh, Jamali right? mm-hmm. and Hussein is very Jamali and That's he was correct. Like, giving that juxtaposition with the two yeah from the um, Hassan and Hussein. Al-Hassan resembled the Prophet ﷺ from the waist up. And Al-Hassan resembled the Prophet ﷺ in his calmness and his desire to bring the ummah together. Is always the reconciliatory element. Al-Husayn ibn Ali resembled the Prophet ﷺ in his physique. Right In his physique he resembled the Prophet ﷺ, but Al-Hassan his face more. Like Al-Hassan, his face resembled the Prophet more, but Al-Hussein, the physique, he resembled the Prophet more. And Al-Hussein was more on the line of Al-Hidda, like his father Ali ibn Abi Talib, that it's the truth at, no, at whatever the cost. Okay, uh, Like Sayyidina Ali wanted to name his sons Harb, war. Al-Hussein took from that. Right? He was like that. And as a result, Al-Hussein... His lineage, they were Jalali. They manifest with the truth and strength and fire. And Al-Hasan was Jamali. They manifest with beauty and reconciliation and generosity. And the Hassanis became kings in North Africa. They became kings in North Africa. And when Al-Hasan ibn Ali gave up the Khilafah, monarchy remained in his lineage as a, as a compensation for that until the greatest ruler that will come from their lineage is Imam al-Mahdi. Okay. Will Imam al-Mahdi be Hassani and Husseini? Is that how it is? He's from his father, Hassani. Yeah. And Allah Alam if he's from his mother, Husseini. Allah mm-hmm. If somebody gathers from both, they call that al-Hassanain. So if you ever hear the name Hassanain, it means at some point he gathered both lineages. Such as a lineage of from the mother Hassan and from the father Hussein, or vice versa. And then he has both now. Then he marries a woman who also had both. Then the children, all four of their grandparents are from Ahlul Bayt, two from Hassan and two from Hussein, 50 50. Okay, and then that's Al Hassanain would be then the strongest, right? Because you have both. The other lineages of Ahlul Bayt are the lineage of Talib. Aqil and Jafar, and Sayyidina Ali from other than Fatima, because Sayyidina Ali married again and he had the Alawiyin, which were other than Sayyidina Fatima. Okay? And then you have Al Abbas and Ibn Abbas, that lineage. And then there were two lineages from the two sons of Abu Jahl who became Muslim, but those lineages has passed on, they, they disappeared. So the lineages of Ahlul Bayt right now are seven Talib, Jafar, Aqil. Ali from other than Fatima, 
Abbas, and of course, Al-Hassan wal-Hussein. These are the seven categories of people who in the Islamic governments get official IDs because they do not accept zakah and their poor can apply for the khums of the conquest. If there is a conquest, there is a khums. Part of that khums is the right of Ahlul Bayt who are in need or need to study. They can use them for their poverty if they're, in, if they're falling on hard times. That money can be used to help them study. Right, just to study. Sheikh Muhammad al-Yaqubi said this. Next hadith. What time is it? All right, next hadith is long. Let's, and let's split this chapter up and let us now turn to uh, our Q&A. Inshallah ta'ala. All right, so you open up the Instagram, and I'll open up YouTube. Yes, go ahead. Can you go over like the full adab of referring to this whole uh, passing of the Prophet Because there's a, I think there's a big confusion on what's the adab of mentioning it and everything. First of all, is to understand what the meaning of mot is in in the beginning. Uh, mot, in our belief, is very different from mot as believed by other people. For us, mot is a passing from this life to the next life. Now, the next life could be better or worse. Okay, But for sure, it's more expansive. Either way, everything is more exaggerated. It'll be pain that you never want to experience again, or it'll be pleasure that you can't um, imagine. So that's the first thing. Death does not mean... That disappearance. So when we say death, we mean disappearance from the physical realm of this dunya onto a more expansive, non-physical realm of the barzakh. And the barzakh, the, the soul, consists of a jism latif. It is a physical, does have a very slight physical element to it. Death, right? However, uh, uh, sorry, the soul. However, uh, that soul is, it's, it's so different. And that world is so different, we can't imagine it. Imam al-Haddad said, the barzakh can never be imagined. You can narrate about it, but you cannot imagine the barzakh, what the barzakh is like. Okay, So, that's the first thing. When we speak about the dead, they're dead to this world, but they're alive in another world. What does Allah say about the martyrs? لا تقولوا أموات بل عند ربهم يرزقون and what about somebody who um, can can the dead know anything about this life? Well, in the in what matters, which is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the answer is yes. That the Prophet is informed about his ummah and makes du'a for his ummah afterwards, right? So that does that is there, right? So there is intifa'il ummah bin Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam ba'dimautih. So if you understand mouth uh, properly, then there's no harm and no foul in the fr- saying explicitly the Prophet ﷺ died. If you understand what death means. But if you believe that death is in fact like um, uh, disappearance, then you're making a mistake. 
And, it, and if you mean it's annihilation, you're making a mistake. And if you mean by that he cannot benefit the ummah anymore, you're also making a mistake. What else? Is there another aspect that needs to be mentioned? Sometimes visiting the grave of the Messenger وسلم, is from the Sunan, and it's something that, in fact, Imam Malik said, Do not say, I'm going to visit the grave of the Messenger, say, I'm going to visit the Messenger because he is alive in his grave. Right? And so the Prophet وسلم, uh, is visited by anyone who is making Hajj and Umrah. It is then the practice of the people to go visit the grave of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and say Assalamu Alaikum Ya Rasulullah and to um, to do Salah and Salam on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in that grave uh, in that time and that Dua there is Maqbul it is a place of Dua okay um, and when making Dua Madik was asked should we turn our back to the Prophet Sallallahu and face the Qibla he said, if the Prophet was alive, and he gave us the usul here, if the messenger was alive, would you turn your back on him? The answer is no. So therefore, when we make a dua, at that time we, we stay as we are, facing the messenger, peace be upon him. Okay, so these are some of the adab of the, uh, of the Prophet uh, visiting the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And nobody, there's a hadith, nobody leaves Medina angry with it, except that uh, there is a punishment, I can't remember what it was, but it was a consequence, basically, to look that up, actually. So when leaving Medina, no one should, you should leave and make yourself regretful that you have to leave. That's the adab of Medina. We have in our religion, if you don't feel something you're supposed to feel, fake it, Right? Make yourself. Now, if you go and your grandmother's over here, right? Your grandmother's uh, visiting. And you're not in the mood to see your grandmother. What do you do? Smile anyway. Right? Smile anyway. So you fake it. That, from adab of people, from the bare minimum of manners and belief, is that you act like you care. And we believe if you act like you care... Maybe one day it will settle in your heart. Imam al-Ghazali says, remember Allah. Keep remembering Allah. The honey will eventually settle into your heart. It's like you keep trying to swallow, but you vomit. One day, your body will figure out and you will swallow. That's how it is. So, the bare minimum of somebody who doesn't feel something in his heart is that he's able to put it on his limbs. right? Put it on your limbs at the very least. On my outward of the, my body has these adab. All right, Omar, give me something. Uh, if, hey, Chocolate Walla, this was very nice what you did. He put a lo- big dash n- noting that now is Q&A time. So make sure your question is under Chocolate Walla's dashes so that we could read them. Okay. Abdul Hadi says, how would Khilafah validate if someone is from the prophetic lineage? Because these lineages, it's like isnad of a hadith, right? Who brings me the baby? A stranger? No, not acceptable. They need witnesses. So when a baby comes, he comes with the document from the hospital, and the father's there, or witnesses that this is the father, 
right? Witnesses that this is the father, okay? And the father is known, is a known entity. So how do I know who's my son in the community? How does like, how do the community know someone's my son? How does the community know someone is your son? How does the community know whose son you are? We all know each other, right? So don't just imagine the modern city as being something like um, this sprawl of millions upon millions of strangers. That's what our mind goes to, right? That's a new thing. That is a new thing. And even with that, when someone is, is born, when someone comes around, then there's witnesses saying whose son this is. If you don't bring the kid with a dad, it's the dad that matters, okay? We don't accept him. That's how the offices view it. They, they don't accept it. You can't just walk in and say, I'm Ahl Bayt, give me a card. No, verify. Verify by where is your father, okay? And you, we would have verified you in the pre- previous generation. You will show up. And by the way, they have dinners, it's called the niqaba. Niqaba is keeping an eye out, right? In niqaba til ashraf, they have dinners. They have gatherings. They know one another. There, there's a, one of the purposes of community gatherings, and, and I'm telling you, many people live this life and, and maybe no one has ever taught them about this. It's very important to have what, we, what you call dawats, right? We call it just like uzumat, without a ta, uzuma, or an invitation. These are extremely important. This is how the community gets to know one another, right? That's how the community gets to trust one another. Otherwise, we don't know who's who, right? Nobody knows who you are. So we break down the strangerness of people. Now, so let me ask you, uh, who was this question? Abdul Hadi, let me ask you this question. You have a community, right? Can someone possibly come in and claim to be from a certain family in that community? How long will that lie last? Right? How long will that lie last? Uh, Ryan's been in our community for a couple of years now. Ryan, if someone came in and said, hey, I'm Nasser's uh, son. How long is that lie going to last? Like one prayer? Because Nasir is the Mu'addin. We come in and say, is that your son? No. Okay, it's over. It's a lie. That's how it works. And that's why it's a niqaba. It's a verification organization. And they still exist in the big cities. Maham says something that helps me put things into perspective whenever I face something tragic, is that the biggest tragedy has already happened, and that is the passing of the Messenger, sallam, and that we are from the ummatis, or the followers of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that never saw their Prophet. There's a special maqam for these people. All right, Omar, give me something from Instagram. Loved ones. It's things that we said are love from are regarding our loved ones. What we need to do with that is... Either you make it up explicitly, and if it would heal an old, wo- uh, open an old wound, then you you make it up implicitly by having more goodness to them than uh, bad. And the regret is a mark of purification. The fact that you're regretting something is that you're being purified of it. The 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 if you regret it, then you forgot about it. 
and the other person forgot about it, that means it's completely wiped away. Uh, if you forgot about it before regretting it, that means Allah saving it for you, took it out of your mind and out of your heart so you can be punished by it later on. Mm. Hamza Hussein, question, did the pain of the poison return at the time of his passing, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? The Prophet sallam, did also pass away from some of the poison of the Jewish woman who poisoned his lamb, and Allah had willed that the Prophet eats a small bite of it so he can get the reward of, of shahada. On uh, the same time period, another Sahabi who had ate from it also died. And they died of the poison. There are some narrations about that. Go ahead. So, uh, Muhammad uh, Munam asked, do you pay zakat on assets and properties? You don't pay zakat on assets or properties, no. Unless that asset is something you buy and sell. In that case, it's not an asset. It's a retail item. And unless retail items are divided into two categories. One, you sell it all the time, such as you own a, a 7-Eleven or you own a shop, or you own a store. Every day you pick a day of the year, and you do an inventory of the value of the stuff that you're selling. You do then an inventory on your expenses. Like the business costs money, right? It costs 5,000 to rent, it costs 5,000 to get equipment, uh, payroll, whatever is remaining, you pay 2.5% of the zakat on that every year. The other method of buying and selling is an ihtikar, which is that you buy something and you hold it and you sell it later. That's the case uh, with, for example, I have an apartment, I'm renting it out, and I'm going to sell it, but I'm waiting for the price to be right. Then I sell it, then I, when I sell it, and I get the check, let's say I get a check $200,000, I pay Zakat on that check. As for the rental income, the rental income is with my other money. Either I spend it or I save it. That's zakat al-mal. But this you have zakat on that sale. Let's say I do this with cars. Let's say I do this with homes. Let's say I do this with minerals. Ihtikar is halal as long as it's not something that would harm the society. So I can't hold sugar, for example. I can't hold oil. Things that we all use all the time. But I can hold a property. No problem. Uh, Maz says, what is the best business to do at this time to get rich quick? I don't really believe in those schemes, to be quite honest with you. Some people just, Allah chooses them, and they might have bought a Bitcoin in 2014, a bunch of Bitcoin, and now they're millionaires. That's very much like moving into a new home in the ancient times and digging in your backyard and finding gold. You just got lucky. Oh, it's Allah's will for you. But lucky in the sense that hav is a gift that you get for doing nothing. That's how we interpret the word luck. It's not outside of Allah's will. Okay, uh, It's within Allah's will and His power, but it's you did nothing for it. I don't believe in those things, but if you want a simple, anybody can do it, and you can make a buck, but it will take you about 5, 6, 7, 10 years to truly mature into a lot of money, you'd go into real estate. Or you sell anything. S selling. Learn how to sell stuff. All right, um, say what, right? Oh, that, yes. That, well, Surah Al-Waqa'ah is to feel rich. Right, you will feel rich. You recite Surah Al-Waqa'ah. Um, and the reason is that it has so, so much mention of Akhirah that it makes the dunya minimized in your eyes. Good. I think Mufti Taqi Usmani made the food on this, right? In his... Uh, 
in one of his books. There's different fatawa on it, but yeah. the majority permit it. Permitted. The Shafi'iyah do not permit it. Yeah, because the Shafi'iyah holds, according to the fatawa that I saw come out of Egypt, is that you can't get your rights on it. Yeah. In court of law, authentic. you wouldn't be able to get your rights. Until you get your rights, then they make it halal after that. But the Shafi'iyah did permit it. Uh, I'm not a fan of it, to be honest with you. It just goes up and down for no reason. And you ha- it's like, it's something that, I'm not a fan of it. It's not, I'm not denying it's a reality, and it has benefits. Like, you could have a currency that's not controlled by a single government. You can have a currency, all you need is a cell phone. So many people in, in, in poor countries don't have bank accounts. You can trade with people, okay, without having to go through exchanges. Global, it's a global currency in a sense. So there are be- benefits and values, and I understand that. But as an investment, I'm not a fan of it because I don't know where it's going. As a currency, it makes sense. But as an investment, I'm not a fan of it. Okay. I don't like investments that it's almost like crap shooting, right? Mass Q, when the dead body is harmed in this dunya for any reason, is it true he feels the pain or torture? I heard that he does. And Allah knows best if it's part of his adab. Omar, you're up. Someone asked about insulting the companions, and how do you respond to this if someone insults the Sahaba? Execution. Lashes, execution. Pick, pick, uh, pick they're asking, like, in a social context, like today. Oh, I see. We're not yeah, the yeah. Shara'i rule. <laughs> okay. Um, we, that's the end of the friendship, essentially. Yeah. That's how simple it is. If someone cursed you, is it at the end of the friendship? Someone cursed your wife. Someone cursed your husband. Someone cursed your best friend. Relationship is done with. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's done with. I have heard that over 80% of the Moroccans have some lineage to the Prophet. I heard Sheikh Yaqubi say this. Allahu Alam. He may know better. In Fez, there's a lot, I believe. Oh, Fez. Yeah, absolutely. Tarim is like 90%. Yeah. Yeah. Surat al-Mulk reminds us death is a test. Yes, that's why it's beautiful to recite that right at the end of the day. To realize the perspective of life. What is our perspective here? It's just a test. This hayat al is a test. You become content when you read waqi'ah and mulk and you realize, because you realize that this hayat al is worth this much. It's not worth much. When Maryam says, I have heard that currently Habib Ali resembles the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Is it true? I did hear that um, that when they talk about his complexion, I have heard scholars say that his complexion, that complexion was the complexion of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Allah knows best. Someone asked, um, is a rich Muslim more likely, uh, the wording is off, but I, I guess you're saying is uh, he more like to Allah than the poor Muslim? Does Allah prefer this person? Say again? So uh, the person's asking, is a rich, rich Muslim more likely to Allah than the poor Muslim? I guess they're asking. More like More favorable, yeah. Um, Al-Mu'min al-Qawi if all things are equal, their iman is equal, their deeds are equal, the one who has the power to change the situation from bad to work to better, to good, is more beloved to Allah than the one who cannot change the situation from bad to good, but all other things being equal. Because changing the situation is key. It's a virtue that other people benefit from. That's why. It's a virtue that other people are benefiting from. 
And as a result of that, he is rich, raised up, raised up inside of Allah. Can you pray for death due to depression? No. If you go back to Allah and you fight hard and believe with certainty that the adhkar and the recitation of Quran and the salah on the Prophet and the tahajjud and the fasting and the dua will lift this internal illness that we have that is mental and emotional, then you will find a result for that. If it is clinical, then and we don't really know what percentage is it clinical, what percentage is it purely mental and emotional. Clinical means it's physical, like some chemical imbalance. Then take both medicines. Take both medicines. There's no harm in taking both medicines. A.W. says, you mentioned fixing relations with your parents early. My dad left when I was four with no money. He has not attempted to contact in a decade. And has a new family in another continent. What do I do? I still, uh, you, you probably get to have a lot of anger to your dad. I'm, I'm, I, I've never been in that situation, so I can't give you a true answer. However, I can transmit to you what I've heard people say. And they said, just do not pass a judgment on your father. Yes, he may have done wrongs, but you're not in the position of the judge. And that is not going to benefit you to pass that judgment and to be angry. So for your own benefit, remove that anger. Because you're not the judge, jury, and executioner. Allah will d decide that. But for your own benefit, to remove that anger. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Uh, Omar? Someone asked, what to do if I get a surgery like tonsil removal and half the doctors are the opposite sex during the procedure? There's no haraj there. There's no haraj in the tonsil removal and the, the surgeon is a woman. Most people, their tonsils are removed when they're kids, right? And so um, you're not even mukallaf, but on top of that, they, they, will, they will be... Oh, you're not, you're asleep too. They will be wearing gloves. They will be wearing masks. There will not be touching of the body. What's the best way to make istighfar? La ilaha illa anta subhanak inni kuntu min And many other ways of istighfar. Huh? Ah, make istighfar for your Muslim brothers and istighfar for the ummah. Right? The malaika will say ameen and to you too. Is it accurate to say that whatever our heart feels is true? No, this is only accurate for, some, for those who are extremely pious and practicing, and they still will find testimony. They still need two upright witnesses, which is the book and the sunnah. So my heart feels one way. If you're on the path of the Prophet, and you're on the path of Islam, you will still say, I still need two upright witnesses, the book and the sunnah. Right? I feel that so-and-so is a liar. Feel as much as you want. Right? And if that person is a righteous person, and pious, and their heart is clean, I'll take it seriously. But can I act upon that? No. I need two upright witnesses. Okay? Show me the proof that he's a liar so I can fire him. I can't fire him without proof, right? I can't take action without proof. So I need to, two upright witnesses of this world, and if it's a r religious matter of 
the dean, basically. Okay, next. And how to stay faithful while we live under oppression and occupation in Palestine. How to stay faithful by realize. Uh, okay, first of all, I have to do an admission of taqsir here. How can I speak about the Palestinians when I haven't had 1% of what they face? Some of these Palestinians, when Israel comes in to do what they call mowing the lawn, okay, which is basically to just trim off the population of the Palestinians a little bit in Gaza, Every five years they do this. Basically, you could schedule it. Some of these Palestinians wake up in the morning with a family of eight and sleep with a family of one. Who's going to advise these people? SubhanAllah. Who is going to be able to speak to give them nasiha when you've never been close to what they've been through? Every time this happens, you get a man, you see a man, or you see a woman. What happened? Who died today? My daughter, my three sons, my husband, my mom. In one attack. All I can say is the general comment. The general comment. Is to know that uh, even the enemy is only doing what they're doing as a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It could be as a result of the bad deeds of previous nations, previous generations, and we're paying that price now. But for us, we didn't do anything, so it can be purification for us. If we have sabr, it's purification. If we use this calamity to draw near to Allah, it's an elevation of our rank. But the hardest thing to say is take your focus off the criminal, okay, and put your focus on Allah Ta'ala. They are using this person to do this damage for wisdom. Habib, salam Is not true that Al-Khidr had to exercise the will of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and that involved some bad things, right? That involved some terrible things? Okay. Peace out, right? By the way, uh, one of these days we got to meet your mom. What should I do? Should I visit your house? Visit your family? Yeah. It's good for her to see, you know, the people you hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. For what? For What about just for a social thing? Yeah, maybe. Just non-dean related. Just to see what kind of humans you hang out with every day. Yeah. Set her heart at ease. All right, take care, bro. So, what were we saying? So, you, you, when there is a criminal out there, when someone's doing something bad, you look at it as, skip that person. This is the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a reason. Okay? How do I interact with Allah on this matter? What about lineages that were destroyed through war like Andalus? Says Sayyid Muhammad Daniel. Allahu alam. Yani, um, there definitely were many lineages cut, but the Ahlul Bayt are essentially right now these seven lineages that I mentioned. Omar, you're up. In person asks, what about slight exposure of awrah because you're in a hospital gown that does not properly fit? This is darura. It's yeah. a hajjah. Yeah. 
it's mm-hmm. dire need. So you cover your out as best you can. Cover your out as best you can. No doubt about that. And for the woman, it's more of an issue than for the man. Okay. Enzi says, how can someone know if their istikhara regarding marrying someone specific has been answered? I'm worried I'm having a confirmation bias for what I already wanted. First of all, istikhara does not mean that I'm undecided. Istikhara means I've made a decision. Allah wants us to make decisions, right? People got to understand this. Allah wants us to make decisions. But He wants us to pass a decision by Him first so He can either make it easier or correct us. So the, 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 the sign of success of an istikhara is in the dua itself. Does not the dua say, okay, if it's good for me, make it easy. If it's bad for me, push me away from it and push it away from me. Meaning, distance and difficulty. So if I make istikhara about a matter, and at every turn that there's a locked door, the door opens up. At every turn that there's an un, seemingly uncrossable bridge, I, I'm able to cross it. At every turn, things are getting easy. This thing is becoming easy. You know then that Allah is confirming your decision. If now the opposite is the case, oh Allah, this is my decision and I'm passing it before you. Allah does not want to decide for you. He wants you to make a decision. And then after you make the decision, okay, then you place it in front of your creator and he will either green check or red X. And the red X is symbolized by impossibilities. Like things happen that make this impossible. Okay. Or difficult. That is a sign that Allah does not want it for you. But if you're finding matters becoming easy, then keep going. So sir al-idhn at-taysir. The secret of Allah's permission is ease. This is easy. It's coming easily. Right? That's why... People who know how Allah operates, the Arifina Billah, they know the Sunnah of Allah, they're never in resistance. They're never tugging or withholding, right? This brother's got to go. Let him go. New brother comes in. Let him go. What's your status, by the way? Student? What year? In Rutgers, I'm a sophomore. You're a sophomore? Yeah. And you guys met? Yeah. Did you go to R to R yesterday? Was it yesterday or Saturday? R to R is a, a purification of the heart conference that the students at Rutgers holds every year. May Allah reward them and strengthen them. Keep going on our next question. Nothing, okay. Tracy says, just before entering a plane, I told my family who all read Hanafi time Isha to read their salah because I said that time has entered. I followed Shafi time. Do I need to tell them what I did? Uh, the time has passed already. It probably, I don't know how strict the Hanafi Madhab is on this subject matter. Do they have like two opinions on it or is it one strict opinion? Because if you prayed before the time, you have to repeat that time mutlaqan, that prayer mutlaqan. You have to repeat that prayer even if 100 years passed. It doesn't make a difference. You have to repeat that prayer because you did not pray it. Inshallah, you won't get the sin of skipping salah, but you have to pr- pray it uh, uh, for that. Um, if it is a matter that in the madhab just there's just two opinions, then they would have repeated it 
at least let's say in the Maliki school, you would repeat it within the time. So let's say I told everyone, pray northeast that way. And then next day I realized, oh, shoot, the Qibla was this way. No, no change. But if it was within the time, I realized the Qibla was wrong, then they could repeat that prayer as a sunnah. Then recommended to repeat the prayer. How do I make up 10 Ramadans of missing fasts? That's 300 days, right? If you miss a whole Ramadan, you don't go back and see if that year was 30 or 29. You just make up 30 days. So, were those fasts missed intentionally? Then you owe kafara for each one. Each day you owe a kafara. Plus, you have to make up the days. If they were missed unintentionally, okay, then you owe qada. And because all those years passed, you will owe a fidya for each year except the last year. Fidya. Fidya is feeding one poor Muslim. Kafara is feeding 60 poor Muslims. And the one poor Muslim will eat for about 12 bucks in our economy today. A meal for 12 bucks. So fidya is $12. Give it to your local masjid, right fidya. Kafara is 12 times 60. What's the math on that? Yeah, 600 plus 120, 720, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever see um, uh, what is it? A Moneyball? When he, he, he's got a sidekick who's a Princeton genius, and every time he wants to do a number, he just does that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, 720 for each kafara. For every day. Multiply that by 30. 720 times 30? <laughs> no, that's too much. 21,000 plus 30 times 20 is 600, right? 22,600? No. Yeah. How many zeros? Four zeros. Oh my goodness. Don't miss... 30. Do not miss CM. There's going to be four zeros for sure. 21,600 per month times 10. Poor sister missed that many days. 210. Well, honestly, she's asking. She's not asking about herself, so so we can't accuse her. She's just asking. $210,000, right? $216,000. Times ten, two hundred sixteen thousand dollars. So you're going to go on a payment and an installment plan of kafara. Yes, because if you skipped ten years of fast with no excuse, okay, and ignorance is not an excuse, because every is malum and adim You know by necessity that Muslims fast. Two hundred sixteen thousand dollars. So put a payment plan, right, of whatever you can. And you could subtract it from your zakah. It's a mortgage, but what's more important, the house that you live in or your state with Allah? If the matter is so difficult, you can go to the different madhabs. It is permissible to go to different madhabs and see what is more practical for me to do to do a kafara of the sins. Because at that point, that amount of money 
is a massive haraj upon anybody. So, but it has to be a dominant opinion of a madhab. Not a little fatwa. Oh, make tawbah and that's it. No. Not some fatwa, right? Okay. Not some random old fatwa from anybody. Okay. Same people that say eat McDonald's, shake women's hands, listen to music, masturbate, all that's halal, halal, halal. Okay. There's some fatwa like that. You can get a book. There are books out there. All the things that I just said is halal. I'm not even joking. I'm not going to name the name of the book. It's going to be in the top 10 of Amazon by the end of the day, right? <laughs> I'm not going to give you the, the name of the book. But there is a book out there. All what I listed is halal. When it's not halal in any of the methods to do that. Okay? So, now when it comes to actually fasting, I would highly recommend, and I love, and I hope really to, to be able to get on it, the concept of fasting every Monday. To me, it's a beautiful thing, right? To fast every single Monday. Okay, and then you fast every Monday, that's 50. You owe 300 days, right? If you fast 50 days a year, you complete it in six years. 50 days a year is doable, right? It's not hard. Well, it's not going to be that even because Ramadan is going to come and remove four, right? Let's say you get sick, remove two. Let's say you remove a whole uh, 10 completely. So you fast, let's say 12, 40 days a year you fast. Qada. No nafila. Forget nafila. Qada only. 40 and, uh, uh, and you owe 300. So between seven and eight years will be finished. Guest Hanafi scholar on the live stream. Yeah, we had a Hanafi scholar last week, by the way. Um, Sheikh Omar Popel. We can have a Hanafi scholar on the day that we do, the day that we do fiqh fasting, we'll bring Sheikh Omar again. Or we'll bring Imran, Sheikh Imran, right? Um, who's, 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 who's joining us at Dar al-Fatah and at Arkview, inshallah. Sheikh Imran Ahmed from Long Island. Yeah, he's moving down here, inshallah. Yes. Of handling a two-piece. So they're asking if we can basically hit children if they're out of line, like laying hands on a parent. Can a parent yeah. strike their kids if the kid's out of line? Yeah, and the, the, the common, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with the common little pinch or, or, or spank that does not really leave a serious scar, right? A mental scar even, emotional scar even. And the Habayib teach their their child rearing method. Okay. Is do not scare your kids. They'll run away from you. They'll leave you. This is a different world we live in. So adab, yes. Strictness, yes. But this actual fear should not be, right? But if it's um there are some disciplinary things needed sometimes, but they should be the things that um, are not considered like abuse, okay? Um, you know, they should not be considered in any capacity to be abuse. I would say, look at the parents, look, look for the extremes in the society. There are extremes of people who indulge their kids, they never say no to their kids, their kids run the show, that's one uh, extreme. Then there's another one where 
the kids are in a straight jacket. They're living life in a straight jacket, right? And that's the other extreme. So you want to be somewhere in, in the broad middle. Tahir Omar is asking about Qunut. Qunut Nazila. Can it be read as a dua? Um, can Qunut Nazila be read as a dua besides reading it in Salah? Yes, you can read it at any time as a dua, no problem. What's the best way to remind ourselves of death? Going to uh, graveyards, going to janazas, I mean, going to graveyards, reading the books about death, and looking at pictures of graves, uh, of, of like caskets and things like that. Because that's where you're going, right? A casket. MashaAllah. This month she attended five janazas, wow. one each Jum'ah. And she said, now is the time that I can't delay, I have to turn Muslim. Because of that, that she turned into a Muslim. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. And she was saying she was, she was wearing the hijab and everything, but she just didn't take her shihab. So Unbelievable. It's crazy. We need an episode on zakah. Yes, inshallah, we will do that. And we will bring on uh, my um, favorite person to talk about the subject. Um, inshallah ta'ala on that. Uh, on that. Um, yes, we will talk about zakah. And we have it already on Safina Society. Right? Um, we have that. It's a live stream, but we'll do it again. No problem. Annual talk on zakah. Okay? Uh, uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. No, no, ask it. What do you mean two pieces? Two pieces is basically hitting like... Like <laughs> two pieces? Is this a new f- phrase? Like one, two, you know. Are you serious? Like one, two, oh, okay. I never heard. Is this new? I guess just like when you want to go out to like two pieces chicken. Yeah. Okay. There's new stuff every time. <laughs> if you have to hit your pet, you have a problem. I think uh, that a pet is supposed to be for fun, solely for enjoyment, right? Not for fun, but for enjoyment, right? Yeah. Yeah, if the pet is bothering you, you have to just call the animal or whatever, the local animal operation that will adopt your, your animal. But we do, I do understand a little push, a little spank. Let's say the cat is at the stove picking at the food. That's not acceptable. You can't live like that, right? So cats don't like water, right? So a spray bottle of water will really bother them, and they, they'll stop coming on your table and stuff like that. How do I respond to Saudi Arabs who say hi instead of salam? It's my pet peeve. By the way, you're not the first person to say this to me. I'm hanging out with two of my friends in Medina and Manawra. And they said, we just came from Riyadh. And they said that Riyadh, the corporate vibe in Riyadh, is non-Muslim. But they're all Muslims. right? They're all Muslims. 100% of the company is Muslims. But the corporate vibe, he said it's the weirdest thing he's ever seen. You walk into a room of Muslims, thobes, hijabs, sometimes hijabs, I think it's by law they have to wear hijab. And, but no sense that you're with Muslims. It's the weirdest vibe. He said you go in high, you never talk about Allah. You never say inshallah, Allahu Akbar, mashallah. 
Allahumma salli ala Sayyid Muhammad. And you never say these expressions that are on people's mind. La hawla wa la billah, inna lillahi wa You don't even say, assalamu alaikum. It is a purely Euro vibe. That's in the high-level corporate vibes of Riyadh. Okay, that's what he said. So it's now that this question comes up, Saudi Arabs saying hi. I'm like, subhanAllah, it's the second time I've heard it. Scary. Scary. A cultural thing? It's, it is a culture, probably a cultural thing, but I think there's also a hatred of it. Like a desire to flee as far as you can into Europe. MBS said he wants to make the Khalij the new Europe. So where are their hearts? It's with Europe, right? That's what they want. We want to make a sliver of tarim here. That's where our heart is, right? I think sometimes when you're in the opposite territory, it allows your heart to love something when you're away from it, right? Like we're here in New York is right here, right? And I'm not going to lie, I love going, I love seeing the lights. I love going to New York, right? But if you ask me if I'm going to remake a city, I'm going to probably say Andalus. That's what I love. I love everything about it, right? And Maghrib, Tarim. Like the spirit of it and the action will be Tarim, no doubt about that. That's no discussion. Awrad 24-7, knowledge, da'wah, fasting, salah on the Messenger, that's the action, right? Geograph physically, Fez. You've never seen a more beautiful place than their buildings. You never see more beautiful buildings than them. Um, and I love the, the Andalus. Andalus is a place that had all four seasons too, right? It has snow even in certain parts in the higher mountains. So Istanbul, amazing place. You, and Istanbul is an unreachable goal, right? Because of the grandiosity of these masajid. You look up. Did you go ever? Oh, you got it. Next time you travel, take Turkish air and, and take two days in Istanbul. It only costs you like 400 bucks because it's cheap. Unbelievable. When you, uh, when you go in, I can't believe this is like, we made this, our people made this. Right? You will just literally not believe it. Um, uh, Omar, you're up. He thinks evolution created us. Has he ever seen it? <laughs> evolution doesn't create, by the way. Evolution does not create. But has he ever seen S? Has he ever seen speciation? Yeah. Who's the questioner? The questioner is Mo Azar. Okay. You don't believe, what, I don't believe anything I haven't seen. Have you seen speciation? Why do you believe in evolution then? Has anyone ever seen speciation? Or the Big Bang. <laughs> so it's in the realm of theory, right? You can believe it all you want, but it is in the realm of speculative knowledge. You cannot deny that, all right? Mm -hmm. It's in the realm of speculative knowledge. It is not a fact, right? So you're going to say, well, the evidence points to it. Well, the evidence also points to a knowledgeable creator, yeah. right? Rational and observable evidence also points to that. So evidence also points that Muhammad is telling the truth. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um... Okay, if you, uh, someone asks, if you lost count of how many fasting you have for Qadha, uh, 
qadr? How, can you make the intention that if my qadr is not complete, please Allah accept my nawafil fasting at qadr first? No. But what you do is you have to have an estimate and then you overestimate. So what's the ballpark? Like five days or ten days? You say, no, 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 not ten days for sure. Five days, maybe more. Okay. But definitely not ten days. Then do ten, do ten days. If you do ten days, you in your mind will be absolutely certain that you covered your qadr. That's how it works. It's like rent. If I owe my landlord rent, I can't say to him, hey, here's, here's the rent. Anything left, I gave you a couple fruit baskets, I bought you a couple baseball caps, I bought you a couple t-shirts, take that as the rent. No, that's not how it works. So you overestimate your qada to the point that you are absolutely certain. All right, be a supporter of Patri- at patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. Be a supporter of this live stream so that other people can benefit. Even a buck a month, two bucks a month will go a long way if 100 million people do it. All right, we'll be able to have this live stream on lockdown. Number two, and we're able to keep developing it. No. Go to arcview.org and sign up and take the classes. Arcview.org. Today, for example, is Hanafi Day. Sheikh Imran Ahmed teaching Hanafi fiqh today. Emma, what's the difference regarding the West has more analytical way of life while the East has intuition? Is that true? How do we stop being OCD and fiqh? Yes, it is true that the West tends to have an analytical view and the East tends to have an intuitional view and both of them are really, in my view, both are wonderful creations of Allah that the intellect that uh, the gut and to me the gut the intuition involves uh, intuition to me involves a knowledge and experience that is so vast that your your mind sees the what's going to happen or your heart knows what's going to happen before your mind can catch up to it and that's where you get the veterans in all fields veterans old people in, in a field, been 50 years in a, in a field and in a discipline, all of them, they operate by intuition over intellect. And all the young people offer, operate by intellect over intuition. So intuition, the way I understand it and I t- interpret it here, is that when you have so much experience doing something, your gut will inform you right, of, an, of something before your mind can catch up with it. That's what. That's how I interpret it, and I think both of them are, are great tools that Allah gave us. You're up. Someone else uh, asked, "What is the proper way of killing a fish?" You don't have to kill a fish. Yeah. If you fish and you want to eat it, its death is enough. Any way it dies, or if you want to kill it, you can hit it on the head with a rubber mallet, or just chop the head off. Nebat says, is there anything you would suggest for us to get a head start on before Ramadan? A lot of people struggle the first few days because their body's not accustomed to it. And because they're physically struggling, they can't do ibadah well. So I would highly suggest you start fasting from now Mondays and Thursdays. At least once a week, if not twice a week. So that when you hit Ramadan, your body is not even flinch. Okay? 
Therefore, you're able to focus on the Qur'an. Also, it's the month of the Qur'an, so you should be reciting the Qur'an every single day this week, uh, uh, up until the month of Ramadan. It's that simple. Don't complicate things. It's simple. Fast a lot, read a lot of Qur'an. When Ramadan comes, you just take those actions and take them up a notch. When the last 10 days come, you take it up another notch. Omar? Parenting course on ArgView. I don't have a parenting course. I don't, uh, I can, we can put together a parenting course. I'm hesitant to give a parenting course because I haven't seen the results. I think theory is nonsense. I want to see results, right? I want to see results, right? You know, broad to kind of... So broad. All that parenting classes to me is all from the seerah and it's anecdotal, just stories of a parent... This was my situation. This is what I did. Bring another parent. This was my situation. This is what I did. Bring, and then you see which one fits yours. It's all anecdotal. There, the theory in it is not that much. The only theoretical points I think is you have to spend a lot of time with your kids if they're going to be good. There's no such thing as we don't really see each other, but we have quality time. That's nonsense. In my view, that's nonsense. Can you run a business like that? I don't show up to the company, but when I do, it's really good time, right? Hina says, some charity organizations send their employees for Umrah every year paid by the organization. Is it okay to use donated money like that? Yes, when you donate money to an organization, the understanding is they will use it as they see fit. If you write zakah, then 100% of that has to go to the zakah. No administrative fees. The administrative fee may be administrative fee, but extra. So that... If I owe $1,000 of zakah, I, I, they cannot take out 15%, right? Except for the base salary of the people. That is, yeah, they can do that actually. Because al-amilina alayha. Zakah is allowed to be used for the amilina alayha. Yes, they can do, do that actually. Because when you pay zakah, the people who administer zakah, where do they pay it from? From the zakah. So yes, even in zakat they could do that. And what is exorbitant? So Umrah is what three thousand dollars, right? Umrah costs about three thousand bucks. So if we're paying these people a salary of let's say sixty thousand, it's acceptable. If we're paying them sixty-five thousand, it's an understood, fair enough salary. Seventy thousand even, fair enough salary. So give or take an extra bonus of three thousand is acceptable. It shouldn't be a problem. No problem. Hak night. Is there an official position in a medhab why scholars are qualified to give who are qual why do scholars who are qualified to give their opinions which may be minority opinions? Um, there are scholars who have reached a level which we may call mujtahid fin nazila. They are mujtahid in new matters. New matters don't only include a whole new matter. A new matter may include situational matters, right? That are very unique. So in give the, in that situation, he may say, yes, the default ruling is this. But in this situation, follow this minority opinion. Why? That's a fatwa. He's not saying that that's the ruling. He's not saying that that's more strong than the ruling. But in this situation, that's what you use. Okay? Like the rulings on music. 
the ruling in the Maliki school on music is it's all haram except for the duff in weddings. That's it. There's, there is a mention by a Sawi of a ruling, just a mention. It's not even like he didn't even endorse it. But Dardir, um, I believe, or Sawi himself just mentions it in a Sharh al-Saghir. And he says that the wind instrument is makru. The percussion instruments are always halal at all times. And the string instruments are haram at all times. So that's a much more expansive ruling. And all electronic new new computerized sounds take the ruling of what they sound most like. That's a more expansive ruling. So but is it is it even a minority? It's not even minority. It's just mentioned. And some of the Egyptians they go by that. Why? Because in the society you may need to expose people to things at stages. Like it may be virtually impossible to sell somebody for them to swallow. It's all haram except the duff in weddings. So then you may give them the second ruling, right? So it's a fatwa used with wisdom and Allah knows best. Until Fajr time during Ramadan. You're allowed to eat suhoor and it is sunnah to stop. As the Prophet ﷺ said, the amount of reciting 60 ayahs of Qur'an, which is about 15 minutes, maybe less, 10 minutes, and that's what we call imsek, so that you never have a situation where you accidentally swallowed after fajr. So that's a sunnah for us to practice. All right, next question here says, um, Aslam says, best way, dua and way of istighfar. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalimeen and astaghfirullah lil-mu'mineen wal-mu'minat say this as many times as you can like a hundred times each more three hundred times each in the last third of the night asking Allah for repentance and to for, for forgiveness of sins you'll find a great result inshallah next question says uh, ASW my um, what is that Amazon Web Services my sister who who isn't Muslim is into tarot card reading, astrology. Of course, that's assalamu alaikum, obviously. I'm just just <laughs> joking, right? Um, but when I see AWS or ASW, I always think of Amazon Web Services. Uh, but she's into astrology, mediums, and so on. Lately, she said she has random visions, thoughts of dark things which have happened. Is this from her qareen? This world, there are two unseen worlds. The The... Rahmani world and the Vulmani world. Nurani and Dulmani. And so sometimes if you get into that world of tarot cards, of the occult, of the unseen, of those if you get into that world, I personally believe there is truth to that, to that world. It's true. Right? There is truth to it. From observation, from things I've heard, things I've seen. You can get into the same thing that we Muslims have of dreams and mukashafat of the light. They can have dreams and mukashafat of the darkness, right? They can really have that. And that is true. So I, I, I was told this. I believe that that's true. And I've seen many things that it's a sound, it seems to me like an accurate um, explanation of what's happening. Is that they're in the Dhulmani world. Many Hindu gurus have open the gates between them and the Vulmani, the dark, unseen world. 
And that dark, unseen world is always Shayatin al-Jinn, and maybe not Shayatin Jinn, but just innocent Jinn, or um, non, non-Muslim Jinn, non-demonic, non-believing Jinn, just like we have non-demonic and non-believing humans, right? Just regular guy who's not a Muslim. He's not an enemy of Islam either. He's just not a Muslim. Regular average Joe. So I really believe that that's actually true, that that exists. And um, it's probably what those, if you get into tarot cards, if you go into Wiccans, and that whole world, to me, I don't know, it's far from, I'm far from it, but it's all the same to me. Wiccans, tarot card readers, mediums, right? Palm reading, it all leads one thing to the next. Maybe a little bit of Reiki here and there, but Reiki may have some legitimacy to it and non-demonic aspects to it. So I think that that stuff actually is true. And do an experiment. Go to your sister's house. Go off to the side and start reciting Surat Yasin. See what happens. Right. Shehamza Yusuf had a relative. Right, who, who, he had, his brother had a neighbor. And he was visiting his brother. Neighbor comes over. And Shehamza says, this guy just seemed demonic to me. So after a while, I said, you know what? I'm going to do something. Start reciting Surat Yasin. Started reciting Surat Yasin. The guy just said, hey, man, you know, I'm, fe- I'm not feeling that good. I got to leave. Now, just because someone's involved in this world does not mean they're demonic. Okay? Does not mean they're demonic. But it just means that they're getting into that realm. And there's a reason why the, Allah says in the Quran, the female blowers into knots means that the majority of witches are women. Right? Uh, uh, sorry, witch, uh, magic. And that world, that magic world, is dominated by women. Right? It's not dominated by men. That is a world that's not dominated by men. Witchcraft and magic. All right, you have Alistair Crowley. But the majority of that world, it's, it's women. Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to give passive or passively give dawah to people who are not necess- necessarily interested? And I'm assuming they mean like when you're uh, like how we were walking the street and like those people just approached us, and like you're not in the setting of giving dawah, but mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're in a setting of giving behavior only, dawah. just behavior. I would say it's only generous behavior, generous behavior, generous with your smile, generous with your time, uh, cl- looking clean, all that. And it's a long, it's a long haul. Okay, there's more to the question. To explain, she has visions of random things in random places. The last one was of a man hanging in a tree. The tree isn't there anymore. In 10 area, she saw this. Uh, she also driving past. All right, so... Yeah, uh, it, it could be shayateen. They try to scare you, maybe. They, they try to scare you. Things like that. And it could be, there is a spirituality solely of the dunya that is not bad and not endorsed by Allah, but it's just of the dunya. We do believe in that too. Just a worldly spirituality. And it could be that was something that happened in the past. Like it's true. 
but it's just, just it doesn't relate to helping people in their afterlife. It may relate to helping people in this life. And that's for people who do these practices, a lot of solitude, a lot of not eating, a lot of meditation. You can open for yourself worldly portals of the unseen and end up um, seeing things maybe that uh, understanding what, what's on people's mind. Where do, what's the source of this information? The observation of shiuch. Shiuch have observed these things and they had to find explanations for it, right? So they have, there is a Rahmani, there's a, a world of light and there was a world of darkness. There's also the Mukashafat solely of the dunya. And that is accessible to people. Um, and there, I think I told you this story many times before. In Egypt, there was a Christian man who was causing fitna. And he was able to tell people what they were thinking. Finally, the sheikh said, listen, you're causing fitna around here? This is in the old times when sheikh had power. Tell me what you're doing exactly. Okay? Because you're confusing all our people. And he knows, like, we can, we can do something about you. Tell me your secret, what's going on right now. He said, absolutely nothing. Every time my, my nefs desire something, I go against it. And as, when this happens, I'm able to read people's minds. I'm able to tell you, you're thinking about this. You're thinking about that. So we say that that is a mukashifa of a dunya, just the lower mukashifa. Right? That's it. That's all it is. And it's no different than how non-Muslims have been able to use technology to tell us if it's going to rain. They use technology to tell us if there is going to have a, uh, an earthquake. So who developed that stuff? Non-Muslims. So it's not a crazy idea that non-Muslims end up with some kind of development of the world. And your soul and your mind and your heart and all your body, it's a tool. And they could do things with their bodies and end up with results that are crazy to us. Or bizarre. But you have to understand, this is not book and sunnah, but this is the shiuch saw these things and have to come up with an explanation. We're not preaching this stuff. We're not saying it's haq and batil. We're just saying that's their explanation of it. And that may be the explanation of anyone who's in, involved in the occult, neither demonic nor true, godly, but they're involved in some ways in, in meditating and not eating a lot and reading these books. So they may end up with something like that. And Allah is best. David Blaine? Yeah, I haven't looked much into him. I think he practices a lot too. Like, it's just physical achievements. Like this, that trick he did where he kept a frog in his throat. That's just practice. I think he's involved in, in, in jinn. There's no doubt about that. I'm going to marry a Salafi woman. Okay. Um, why will you tell me? What, what? What? Is there a question there? Okay. So what? What am I going to do? Okay. <laughs> Marry a chef, a woman, right? If he wants to marry any strict woman.
All right, I'm going to read me one. Someone said, um, Dr. Shadi, can we get some advice for tests that seem like they're impossible to overcome? The mindset. The framing of that, it's done with. The framing of that, you framed it as impossible to overcome. It's not impossible. Reframe it. Reframe that thing that at this moment it's a bit hard, but Allah has power. Ya Qadir, Ya Muqtadir is your dua. You should be repeating always, Ya Qadir, Ya Muqtadir, Ya Qadir, Ya Muqtadir, Ya Qadir, Ya Muqtadir. Okay. Ya Qadir, Ya Muqtadir. Allah is Qadir. And don't rely on yourself to change things. Rely upon Allah Ta'ala to change things. Ramadan prep. We will do a Ramadan prep. What time is it, Omar? Three. Uh, you see how my repeatedly doing this? I know, right? Yeah, my internal clock. Chocolate Wallace says, this dude needs a GoFundMe for that $210,000 kafara, which is true, by the way. You can collect money for that, but obviously... I don't recommend that because eventually um, uh, everyone will be doing that. And then there will be too many scams in the market. Mm -hmm. All right, we're, we couldn't take a lot of questions, but let's... Um, why, is it easy, why is it that we see Allah answering the dua of non-Muslims who make dua to other than Him? Allah answers the dua of people out of istidraj. So that if a person is making du'a to an elephant, God, or a woman with nine arms, then all of a sudden their prayer was answered. We say that istidraj. Istidraj is leading them further astray. And we don't say that that's not istijabah to du'a. It's not istijabah. Istijabah is a wonderful thing. Istijabah means this thing you're going to get is full of blessings. And Allah is pleased with you. What's the position of rebellion? In general, it's haram. I found a lot of peace in tough times when I stopped asking Allah for the hardship to turn away and instead asked for patience during it. That's true. That's good. If I'm praying outside, do I shorten my salah? Yes, you may shorten it if the weather is cold or if it's hard to pray on the surface, etc. As long as the, 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 the pillars and the fara'id and the sunan are established. Because as you know, there are eight sunan, mu'akkada. If you miss one of them, you have to do sujudisa. My, Muslim, my sibling brother doesn't talk to me since I became Muslim. I miss him and his family. It's been a year. You will just have to keep having good akhlaq. That's your test. But keep having good akhlaq and, and good character. Okay. Unknown, he says, I love to solve. I'm not a Wahhabi. Um... But I want to marry a Salafi because Ashari and Sufi has become liberal. Not where we're from. Not right here. No, we're, we're at war with the liberals, trust me. There was a video, and Yamama says, of a psychic person who does black magic, and she said when she stopped reading her chants on Muslims, uh, she stopped reading her chants on Muslims, but they have a force field around them. Wow, I want that. I want that video. Yeah, I think I have it. I want that. I don't want a force field that stops your attacks. I want a force field that attacks you. Right? I need that. What dhikr? I, Allahu Akbar. I need that dhikr. I need to go boom. Okay. How much wealth do you have to have to qualify for zakah? I think the 
cutoff, we have to check. Last time I checked was $6,000. I bought two parrots in a cage for my daughter, but my heart says they should be free. Our parrots aren't, when they sell them, their wings are clipped. Huh? Like, do parrots fly around anymore at all? I think they're always... I never... Un- yeah. Yeah. They're not breeded for this outside. They'd die if they go outside. So you can leave them around the house, but then your house is going to be filled with soil. They're going to knock stuff over. I personally no, no, I never looked into it, but I never felt good about trapping an animal. So you can get a very big cage. You can give them a room. You can, Or you can have them a cage, but you can let them out every once in a while. That's the problem. So you could maybe let them out in the laundry room, right? Um, let them out in a laundry room. Let them out in a small room. Then they get used to that. And you get to observe how much they poop. They defecate. They have droppings, whatever. And see how annoying it is to clean it up. Or the garage, right? Then let them out after you get used to that. Maybe that is sufficient for them, right? And then let them out in another room, then another room. And Adam, but I, it, to me, it feels like trapping animals to me, zoos mostly is haram to me. Keeping a lion in that cage like that, and then throwing him r- the meat, not letting him hunt. Hop Knight says Imam Ghazali didn't say that string instruments are permissible. Hop Knight. Um, the string instrument becomes forbidden for the reason that it's not that the, the why the string instrument becomes forbidden. All instruments were forbidden. And then the, an exception was made for the duff. The prophet heard a wind instrument and didn't say anything. The sahaba suggested blowing a horn for the adhan and the prophet didn't say it's haram. So they said, okay, that's makruh only because he didn't say it's haram so exceptions were made for the those two no exception was made for the string instrument penguin is it halal to eat it it's odd to eat it but it is halal to eat it it's not haram to eat it maybe in the shafi school though it's haram shafis have a lot of rules on food it's like it's not cut and dry like us for us we it's every haram by the book by not by qat'i is the human and the pig makruh is is the hunting animal predatorial animals makru anything that could possibly live in the sea is considered of the sea is halal and doesn't even need to be slaughtered you can eat it dead or if a kafir slaughters it fine and the what is haram by the quran but by malik is ijtihad is horses donkeys and mules boom finished with the chapter on animals we're finished all birds are halal to eat claws no claws vultures hawks eagles whatever it's all halal because Malik did not consider that part of the, 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 the hadith, birds with claws, as from the prophet. He attributed it to the narrator. And then as his qiyas, not the prophet's hadith. And as for everything the prophet forbade, he prov- 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 forbade it 
as disgustingness and oddness. That's not something that people would eat, like predators, lions, etc. Anything that regularly eats uh, najasa, such as dead animals or, or, or animals, their defecation is impure. Anything that does not eat animals, its defecation is pure, like goose. Geese do not eat meat, obviously. So if you step in their defecation, it's pure. You keep walking and keep praying. How can you manage guests staying over, but they are unhygienic and are bad in terms of cleanliness? You end up being unsure on the justice spreading. You can probably just not invite them anymore. That's the value of inviting guests slowly. Tea first. Tea is 90 minutes. 90 minutes, you get up and leave. Then dinner. Then so on. Slowly. I know some people, they let people sleep over their house on the first shot. Well, you get what you deserve. You don't know what you're doing. You're majnoon. Okay. Why is marriage considered completing half of your deen? Because it's half of the blessing and it's also half of the um, test and it's half of your virtues will come out. So half of the gratitude, half of the sabr, and half of all those other grati- virtues that are involved in having a family. The virtue of spending on them, the virtue of protecting them, the virtue of taking care of them, of the sick, all that will come out only after you marry. The single person will not be blessed with these things. They won't have the opportunity. Is a penguin seafood? Yes, it is. Uh, eating intelligent, or a bird, either one. No, it's is it lives in the water. I don't even not for sure of the how the penguin lives. They live on land, but they can. Yeah, yes. It, I, they're birds. Penguins are birds, right? Uh, the way they look, they have wings. They're birds, so we have to slaughter them. Uh, can you imagine slaughtering a penguin? I would actually feel bad, right? The beautiful white, right? Oh, they're a bit wild, right? Really wild. Yeah. Oh, man. Shoot. What about eating an intelligent mammal like a dolphin, whale, octopus? It's halal for us. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, a nice and a wonderful live stream. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. May Allah ta'ala bless everyone's uh, week. Good start to the week. May Allah Ta'ala bless your week. May Allah Ta'ala grant you all a, uh, a good week and an excellent week. Wa jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you.